0: Hello everyone and welcome back once again to The Ordinary Podcast, the absolute best nerd-centric life and culture podcast on the internet today that no one yet knows about. As always, I'm your ordinary nerdy host, Shad. Today is Saturday, September 9th, 2017, and this is going to be episode number 14. Over the last few weeks, I think last week was an exception, but the, uh, There have been a number of episodes we've done here that have had sort of heavy topics. A couple weeks ago, we talked about escapism and its importance. A week after that, I believe, we talked about fan entitlement and how certain bad behaviors by fans can be detrimental to a community and the creator at the head of it. And then last week, or week before last, rather, we talked about how Bad it can be to idolize individuals. I I entitled that one "Love the Art, Art, Not the Artist," because sometimes you'll put somebody on a pedestal, a mentor, an artist, a celebrity, and then you'll find out they're human scum. You know, in the case of what we talked about, being you know musicians carting around 14-year-old women, 14-year-old little girls, and having sexual relations with them, that sort of thing, and how devastating that can be as a fan to have someone whose work. You love so much and that you feel as a part of who you are, you know, their work as an artist becomes part of who you are as a fan, and then you find out that the artist is garbage. Um, But this week, we're going to get away, we're going to continue to get away from all that heavy nonsense, and we're going to do something a little fun, at least to me, something a little light, 180 degrees in the opposite direction, and we're going to talk about some fucking cartoons. Specifically, my all-time favorite cartoon, arguably one of my favorite shows of all time and potentially one of the best TV shows ever made, and that is Batman the Animated Series because this year represents the 25th anniversary of that fantastic TV show. And it's crazy to me that this show is 25 years old, or it came out 25 years ago. Saying it's 25 years old makes it sound like it's still on like The Simpsons, but... It had a, a good run there in the early nineties. It was one of my favorite things. I look forward every day from school to come home from school and watch this cartoon. It was just fantastic. And I'm I'm very happy that it's still revered in the nerd circles as one of the best shows ever. I mean, it's the show that gave us the Harley Quinn character from some of you may not even know that. Some of some of you I would hope if you you would know this if you're listening to my podcast, but the Harley Quinn character, the the oversexed clown psychotic lady that we saw in the God Awful Suicide Squad movie, portrayed by Margot Robbie, started as a cartoon character. She was not an ori- originally a, a character in the comic books. She actually made the transition from cartoons to the comics, then on into the movies. It gave us the excellent Mark Hamill Joker. Little fun fact that some people, I'm, I'm always astounded when people don't know this, Tim Curry. Was originally going to be the Joker in this cartoon. But then he... I want to say he got ill. And they replaced him with Mark Hamill. And history was made. This is a role that Mark Hamill was born to play. You know, Everyone loves him as Luke Skywalker. But I feel... His version of the Joker is the superior version of the Joker. Jack Nicholson's Joker was great. Heath Ledger's Joker was amazing as well. They are still not as good as Mark Hamill's animated Joker... And that's one of the reasons why it made it so awesome when they brought Mark back to play the Joker in the Arkham video games because he's just so damn good in the role. This is also where we really started to see what I feel is the best representation of Batman and Bruce Wayne is that the animated series was the one where they made it very clear that Bruce Wayne is the alter ego, not the other way around. It's not Bruce Wayne masquerading as Batman. He is Batman, and he has to pretend to be Bruce Wayne. He has to do this playboy, jaded lifestyle thing that you know makes him seem all, all detached and kind of aloof, and like he's just interested in chasing skirts. But he's actually Batman. Batman is who he really is. He's a broken, crazy ass rich guy who likes to you know fight criminals, and or actually I can't even say he likes to fight criminals. He does it out of obligation. He feels he has to. It is, it is a, a thing he cannot not do, you know. And th- that's where this characterization of the character really came to light is in this cartoon. So it's, it's funny to talk about it as, you know, oh, it's a little afternoon children's cartoon show. But it was so much more than that. You know, it, it's an Emmy award-winning show. It, it's a show that as a 34-year-old man, I can still pop in my Blu-ray player and enjoy the hell out of. The shows are very very good and that's what this topic is going to be about this week to start us off. We're going to talk about my five favorite episodes of Batman the animated series. But before I get into my personal list, there are some episodes I felt were worthy of mentioning because there are a lot of episodes in this series that are fantastic. There are very few that I would even call bad. And the ones that I would call bad were ones that I I just didn't like as a kid. But watching them as an adult, it's like, man, this show's pretty fantastic still. So, before we get into my list, let's break down some honorable mentions real quick. Up first is the episode entitled Harley and Ivy. As you can guess, it focuses entirely on the characters of Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. Harley's kind of been fired by the Joker. She's out on her own. She meets up with Poison Ivy, and then they run amok in Gotham City. It's an iconic episode it's you know in today's age of women empowerment it would it would not be a surprising episode at all but in the early 90s when that sort of thing was wasn't as big a deal and you know people were kind of like oh girls don't like comics and whatnot um this was a surprising episode i remember being a little boy watching it. it's like man this is kind of cool that they're focused so hard on harley and ivy and there's this great scene you've probably even seen it even if you're not a fan of the show there's there's a scene where they're in a car and they pull up next to another car and there's a bunch of dudes in the car next to them and they're kind of catcalling and, you know, uh, quote unquote flirting with the two of them. And they pull a rocket launcher out, Harley does, and the, the boys run and they blow up the car. It's, it's that kind of thing. It's, it's a woman empowerment episode in an era when that sort of stuff wasn't as common. It, it's a great setup for the two characters. They, they mesh really well together. And eventually they started doing it in the comic books with Gotham City Sirens, um, which a movie will be made soon. Uh, Hopefully it turns out better than Suicide Squad because Suicide Squad was garbage. But we uh, we shall see. Harley and Ivy, it's an episode worth mentioning. Also is what is reality? I didn't know this until this week as I was putting this together, researching episodes, watching videos. You know, that list the top 10, top 11, top 15 episodes themselves. What is reality is one of the three. There's only three of them. Three episodes where the Riddler is the villain. And that is insane to me because the Riddler is a fantastic villain. What is reality is a, it takes place in virtual reality. It's, you know, it's Edward Nigma doing his thing where he's got to try to prove himself to be the smartest man in the world. And that's, you know, always his downfall. And it's just a crazy, crazy look at a world that we are on the cusp of, of, of approaching because VR is a thing now. It's, it's, you know, a commercially available item for, you know, it's expensive, but it's, it's still out there now. So it, it's a crazy look at, at the not-so-distant future from the 90s, and it's just a great episode showcasing Riddler's insane genius. Another episode is the two-parter Robin's Reckoning arc. This is specifically the arc where we see the tragic origins of the Robin character, how Dick Grayson lost his his family and loses his family, how Dick Grayson loses his family and becomes the ward of Bruce Wayne and eventually Robin. Shadow of the Bat is another good episode, another two-parter like that. Uh, This one deals with Batgirl. There's the episode Trial, where Batman is put on trial by the inmates of Arkham, with Judge Joker at the helm of the trial, and a DA who does not like Batman being forced to defend him. It's a fantastic episode. Most of the Joker episodes are pretty fantastic, but there are some standouts, Trial being one of them. Uh, I almost put it in my top five. It just missed the cut. Harley's Holiday is a Harley centric episode, Uh, dealing with her just being out doing stuff. Uh, it's, again, a fantastic episode. Arlene Sorkin's version of uh, Harley Quinn is fantastic. Uh, Tara Strong is also very good at Harley, but in this cartoon, Tara Strong voiced Batgirl, Barbara Gordon. It wasn't until later with Arkham, the Arkham games, that uh, Tara Strong took over the role from Arlene, but they're almost indistinguishable. Like, it, it you really have to pay attention... With a, with a focused ear to understand which version of the character is who. He's vo- who's voicing which version of the character. Um, fantastic stuff there, though. Harley's Holiday has always been one of my favorite episodes. There's Second Chance. Uh, this is an episode dealing with Two-Face getting reformed. If I'm not mistaken, I believe they fixed his face in this episode. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Uh, when I put this list together, I didn't sit and watch episodes. I went through and read all the synopsis is available on IMDb and was like, okay, yeah, that's one of my all time favorite episodes. That was one too. So forgive me for not being completely a hundred percent versed in this episode, but second chance was a fantastic episode. Uh, there is the man who killed Batman. This was a great episode because it dealt with this kind of Weasley accountant type guy. Like he was a number cruncher for the, for a mob family. I if I remember correctly, and he believes he killed Batman and everyone believes he killed Batman as well. Cause no one's seen him since, the the aforementioned encounter between them and as a result everyone's either trying to like kill him too so they could be the man who killed the man who you know so they wanna you end up with villains in the Batman universe trying to kill this Weasley little fella so they could be the guy either so they could be the guy who killed the man who killed Batman or they're mad at him for robbing them of the chance of killing Batman. And lastly, in my honorable mentions, is the two-parter Feet of Clay. That This is the two-part arc. Excuse me, I drink water. Talk myself hoarse. This is the two-part arc that shows us how Clayface becomes Clayface. They go with, uh, forgive me, I want to say it's Matt Hagen is the character in the cartoon. He's an actor. He's had some horrific burns. And there's this reconstructive face cream he's a, he uses to keep his face the way it's supposed to be, and over time he becomes addicted to this stuff. It has addictive properties, not mentally addictive, but like he's physically addicted to it, and it's breaking down his body to the point that he ends up being the monstrous Clayface. And it's just like up to this point, Clayface was not a character I ever really enjoyed in the comics. I, you know, I'd only had just a couple little introductions to him in my youth, so this version of Clayface became my Clayface, and I've, I've had a hard time accepting any other versions. This is the one that I want, and we'll see that again later in the, in the top five list, but fantastic episodes. All those episodes are definitely worth taking a look at, but to be frank, like I said, almost every single episode of Batman the Animated Series is fucking fantastic, so if you're a fan of Batman and you like cartoons which i know quite a few of us do um, i mean i'm i may be an elder millennial but from, from what i understand my generation loves their cartoons uh, rick and morty wouldn't be such a big thing right now if it wasn't for that that fact check out batman the animated series it's fantastic and now it's time to break down my personal five favorite episodes of the show i'm going to cheat here a little bit with number 5 cuz it's a two-parter and that is the Two-Face story. These episodes were fucking fantastic. I-, I loved the way they took us through the journey of Harvey Dent being the DA of Gotham. And, you know, he's struggling with this inner personality he's developed called Big Bad Harv. Where he's kind of, you know, kind of savage. And he's going to a shrink and all this. And, you know, he's trying to deal with it. And then through some treachery with the mob... He is horrifically wounded in an explosion that screws up the side of his face. Uh, I've, I've heard some people say, specifically most recently, uh, um, Dan at thenerdist.com said that he kind of looks like a cross between a man and a fish. Uh, it's just the way they designed his skin, his scarring, to make it, you know, essentially kid-friendly and acceptable for a cartoon. But he's, you know, he's 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 fucked up. You know, if you should be aware of the who the 2 faced character is. He's very badly burnt on the one side of his face, and it's just a fantastic two-part arc. Seeing seeing a legal ally of Batman, the the guy who is putting away the criminals Batman's arresting, become a criminal himself, is fantastic television. And like I said, it's two-parter, but I count it as one episode. My number four favorite episode is Christmas with the Joker. As I said earlier. Almost every Joker episode is fucking fantastic on this show, and this is no different. It's a a fun episode where Joker takes over a a TV show and is live broadcasting the the torture of several of Gotham's most prominent citizens, James Gordon, the the redheaded reporter that's in the show a lot, and it's just great TV definitely one of my all-time favorite joker episodes. It almost was higher on the list, but I've got a different one that goes higher and we'll get to that in a minute. Now these next three, the top three were really, really hard to put in order because they I think each of them have merit and could be the the number one episode and I'll explain why they fall where they fall as I get to them. Number three is the episode almost Got'. Them. This is a fantastic episode. I keep saying the word fantastic, so forgive me. But it's apt here. This is the episode where several of Batman's villains, the Penguin, Two-Face, Poison Ivy, Joker, and Killer Croc, I think that's the five. They're sitting around a table playing a game of poker and sharing stories about how they almost got Batman. And Crocs is absolutely hilarious. I I won't spoil it here if you've never seen it, but it's one of my favorite single moments in television from my youth. And they're sitting around, and it's kind of endearing because you're you're seeing these characters in a light that you typically don't see them as. They're always just these you know murderous madmen and women in the case of Poison Ivy. But you uh, you get to see them sit and like you know they're kind of bemoaning the way that they you know they just missed beating Batman, killing him, defeating him, however you want to slice it. And each story is different, obviously, because each character has a different mo, different way they do things. But it's just a great episode. It it is the show at its finest point, really. And this it very easily could have been my number one show. Or number one episode of the show. My number two favorite episode, and this is going to be a surprise uh, for many people, because a lot of people think it's one of the best episodes ever, is Joker's Favor. This is the episode where we are introduced not only to Harley Quinn, but to Mark Hamill's Joker. It tells the story of a poor schlub who's having a really shitty day and he gets into a little road rage incident with another driver and much to this guy's dismay he realizes the other driver is the Joker. There's a tense scene that follows where it's kind of a chasey type sequence and then because the Joker is feeling generous that day he doesn't kill the guy but he takes the guy's information and tells him very much like An old fashioned godfather that you owe me a favor, sir, and I don't know what it's going to be. You don't know what it's going to be, but one day I will come to collect this favor and you will do what I need. The guy immediately gets into the witness protection program, changes his name, relocates his family, moves to a new city, but Joker, being Joker, searches him out and calls in that favor. And it is Joker at his absolute best. Like, i've said repeatedly mark hamill's joker is my favorite joker ever and he plays it perfectly here like i don't want to give the impression that you know he he hit his peak at the first episode and then afterwards they got worse but this is because that's absolutely not the case but this episode is pitch perfect joker and it it makes for fantastic tv and I, I, i i'm sorry i keep using the word fantastic um it's just what's on my head when I when I talk about this show it's it's a fantastic show and lastly my all-time favorite episode it's actually my favorite for many reasons it's an Emmy award-winning episode it's a heartbreaking episode in its own way and it's the episode that defines a character for me and that is Heart of Ice this is the story of Victor Freeze and how he became Mr. Freeze the tragic story of losing his wife freezing her cryogenically the, the way funding was cut for his research because he's trying desperately to find the cure for, the, for his wife that turns him to a life of crime it's, it's just tra- it's like Shakespearean level tragedy in a kid's cartoon and it's fucking brilliant it, it's, it's my all time favorite show it set the character of Victor Freeze for me like I don't accept any other version of the character now Uh, Scott Snyder, for all his fantastic work in the New 52 run of Batman, specifically the Court of Owls and the Death of the Family arcs, those were brilliant works by him, but he really dropped the ball when he changed Freeze's backstory and made him delusional instead of a tragic character. Um, Will not accept it. Don't want it. The Batman, the animated series arc, is... Victor Freeze for me and always will be. I will I will admittedly and stubbornly ignore any other versions of the character because they did it right in the animated series and to deviate from it is borderline blasphemy. Like you just can't do that. You can't take such a heart-wrenching, beautifully tragic character situation where it's just a man, it's a brilliant scientist. He's he's a man who loves his wife more than anything in the world. And she's on her deathbed. He's going to lose her, and he will do anything to stop that. That is beautiful storytelling and not something that should be fucked with. That, that is adaptation decay at its absolute worst, to be honest, which will segue us out of my main topic into the odds and ends because the very first thing I want to talk about is the adaptation decay that Game of Thrones is going through. I've been catching up on Game of Thrones, if you're not aware. I haven't watched it. I had not watched it since the end of the fourth season. I missed season five, six, and now seven. I'm a little more than halfway through season six now, and I've noticed that as they start to peel away from the books, they, they've in many ways they've they've gone past what the books have written, and they're kind of doing their own thing now. And the more they do that, the more they do stupid ass things that drive me nuts. Uh, I don't get into t- too much spoilery stuff, just in case you're not caught up yourself but I will mention in broad terms like the way Stannis Baratheon's character has been handled all this time has been pretty much lockstep with the book and then there towards the end of season season 5 he goes completely off the rails does something that's completely out of character does something that's completely out of character based on what they have shown him being earlier that very season and it ruins his entire arc and it, I can't think of any reason why they did it other than to just finish his story on the show. Like, okay, we're done with him now. And that's not the way it is in the books. He's still very much a, a part of what's going on, at least as the sixth book is getting ready to start. Maybe, maybe in book six, Winds of Winter, they'll do something similar, but I have yet to see it. And from what I've read, little excerpts and stuff, that it doesn't seem like they're going that way. And they've done this a lot through the, the span of the show. Like, the first season was basically scene for scene, the first book. George Martin was on the show as an executive producer. But ever since he left from season two on, they've made these little changes that at first they they feel like just them making, you know, you know, small little changes, little tweaks, put their own mark on it. But as the show has gone on, it's they've done these sort of things on a more regular basis and in a more egregious fashion. And... It it kind of upsets me as a fan of the source material first, and, and it does make me worried that the next couple, this season that I haven't watched yet, season seven and the final season, season eight, are just going to not be good without George Martin's guiding influence. With them just doing their own thing, them going literally going off script, so to speak, because they don't have the the source material to work with anymore, and they're just marching to their own beat now. Kind of bothers me. I figured I'd get my little nerd rant in there. Uh, We also heard this week, if you've been paying attention, that the Han Solo spinoff movie will likely feature a brand spanking new Millennium Falcon. And I don't really know why this is news, other than maybe it was a slow nerd news week. But uh, I figure with it being a young Han Solo anthology film, that it would make perfect sense for it to be a new Falcon Maybe even we'll see how he gets it, like where it comes from. We, I mean, we know it's Lando's ship first, and he wins it from him or steals it. You know, we know that background. But the idea of seeing a brand-new one that's not falling apart as we know it from the later movies is kind of an interesting thought. Uh, we also found out that Drew Goddard, uh, formerly you know, he has done uh, Cabin in the Woods is a former film of his. He is set to write and direct X-Force. This is a thing I've been looking forward to for a long time, ever since they started with the, down the Deadpool arc, and then you know, then they cast Domino and and Cable, uh, Psylocke over there in the one of the la, in the last X Men movie, uh, potentially could be a part of this as well. Um, I, I look forward to the X Force. They're like, for those of you that don't know, they're like the X Men's Black Ops team, and it's a fantastic a group of characters that I want to, I've want always wanted to see done in a movie ever since I started doing X-Men movies. I always I thought X-Force would be a great thing to see. So they're working on it now. Drew Goddard is a disciple of Joss Whedon. Uh, he's wrote, some episode, wrote and directed some episodes for Joss on his various shows. I think he did some Buffy. Uh, I don't think he did any Firefly. But it potentially could be a great little piece of uh, comic book fun. So we'll wait and see how that plays out. Also in comic book news, on the DC side of things, we found out that John Cena of WWE fame is one of the two frontrunners to play Captain Marvel, Shazam. He's always going to be Captain Marvel to me. Um, he's you know set to play the, the titular superhero. Uh, this is particularly interesting because we all know that Dwayne The Rock Johnson is playing Black Adam, which is Shazam's chief villain, So we could have this very interesting situation down the line. It's supposedly not going to be the case in the Shazam movie. Um, But we could have this very interesting situation down the line where we have two former WWE guys, two former professional wrestlers, two former world champion professional wrestlers, guys that were at the top of their game at various times, facing off in a movie. And that's an interesting concept. Like, John Cena, if... If you ever seen the uh, Amy Schumer movie Trainwreck, he was probably the best part of it. He was surprisingly good in it. I I was shocked because I had seen some of his earlier movies when he was new to acting and he wasn't great, but his comedic timing was on point in Trainwreck. Like I said, he's arguably the best part of the whole movie, and that's not I mean that's not a high bar, but it uh he has potential, and he actually looks the part. Like he just darken his hair a little bit, and I can see him being Shazam. So that that was an interesting little tidbit that came out this week. And then uh, by the time this this podcast airs, actually, being honest, I'm recording this on Friday afternoon. It's already out, and it, the Stephen King movie, is already out. Um, that's an adaptation I'm very much looking forward to. I, I've ranted lots in the past about remakes and reboots and whatnot and what I feel about them, but this one looks like it has potential. I've looked at a lot of reviews. There's a lot of positive buzz around this movie. I look forward to seeing it. At one point, I actually considered seeing it this morning before I fell asleep uh, two hours before the show started. So at some point in the next week or two, I hope to get to see it. I'll have to see it by myself because my girlfriend doesn't do scary movies, and I work third shift unlike all my friends. So it's going to be me by myself seeing it, but I look forward to seeing it But we also got something I didn't know was coming until a couple weeks ago, and that is Netflix has adapted Gerald's Game as a Netflix original film, and it looks fantastic. Like I'll I'll admit I have some personal bias. I have been a fan of Carla Gugino, even if I don't know if that's the correct way to pronounce her name, because I've never heard it said aloud forever, Um, going way back to that Pauly Shore movie, Son-in-Law, when she was a female lead. Uh, She was fantastic in Watchmen as the elder Silk Spectre. She was uh, fantastic in Sin City as Marv's psychiatrist. And she's always just been a fantastic actress. She's the female lead in Gerald's Game on Netflix. I can't off the top of my head remember who plays her husband. But the plot of the movie is, and this is Stephen King at his psychological best. Because we all know Stephen King can do some crazy supernatural bullshit. This is him at his best psychologically. I feel where this couple, middle-aged couple, they go to a cabin somewhere secluded, you know, resort or whatever. I'm not sure what the where it is. It looked like a cabin in the in the trailer, like on a lake, and they go for a romantic getaway. Uh, Mr. Husband guy decides, won't it be kind of kinky if I handcuff you to the bed? And then he like he it seems in the In the trailer, that he he crosses a line with her, like he he he, like he's doing some sort of rape fantasy, which is you know intense. I I admit a lot of people don't like such things, but it's it's a it's a rape fantasy scene, and she doesn't want anything to do with it. Kind of essentially kicks him off of herself, you know, kicks him off of her, uh, and you know is very pissed off at him. And they're having an argument, and then. He has what appears to be a heart attack and dies, and I'm not laughing at the the heart attack and dies bit, but it's the situation that is where things get crazy because she's now handcuffed to a bed, her husband's dead at the foot of the bed, and she can't do anything. She can't reach her phone. She can't get out of the handcuffs. She can't even get a drink of water. There's up on the headboard above her. There's there's a glass of water. You know, and you can only live so long without water. And that's where the horror of the show begins, of the movie, because she's now stuck. And the trailer's just fantastic. I highly suggest you go to YouTube and and look up the trailer. I can't wait to see it. Uh, As I said, I I have a personal bias because she's one of my all-time favorite actresses. But I think the movie's going to be fantastic. And it's just Stephen King's nailing it right now, at least with what I hear of it and how good this movie looks like it could be. I know people were disappointed largely with The Dark Tower, I've yet to see it, but it's just like, Stephen King's just rolling stuff out now. And uh, I guess there's, I think it's on Hulu, I I could be wrong, but Mr. Mercedes is about to start, it looks good, It's, it's, it's just a good time to be Stephen King, I think. And my last little bit on television and movies, before we move on to video games, is I sat down Thursday night and as I crafted this outline. I watched the movie Marauders. Uh, it may not be of any significance to you. It came out in 2016, but um, it was filmed here in Cincinnati. It's set in Cincinnati. Uh, they get some things wrong locationally. Like it, at one point, it looks like they're driving across the bridge into Kentucky, and they say they're going to Westchester, which is north of Cincinnati, if you don't know, if you don't follow my my Twitter feed. Because I made a point to talk about it on Twitter. But it's a perfectly fine movie. I I've, I would probably give it around a six or seven. It's not great. Uh, sometimes Bruce Willis feels like he's phoning his his lines in. Uh, I'm, I'm a Bruce Willis fan, but this is not his strongest performance. He, he definitely has a, an an, air, an aura of not caring about this movie. Everyone else in the movie is fantastic, though. Specifically uh, Christopher Maloney, I think is how you pronounce his name, from uh, Law and Order Special Victims Unit. And Dave Batista as his right-hand man. Uh, pretty good crime story. It's a little convoluted. Some of the some of the plot details are a little off, but it was cool to see places I know and see almost daily in a movie, and it not be a stand-in place because we've had other movies filmed here. Kate Blanchett filmed a movie called Carol here a couple years ago. I watched some of that at, at work, you know, as they were filming it because they were filming it in my neighborhood, and uh, but it. They used Cincinnati as a stand-in for old New York, like 1950s New York, because some of our architecture is pretty fantastic and old. And uh, so, you know, it, it's one thing to know a movie was filmed here and it not be set here. It was completely different, though, to continually see things I see on a daily basis in a movie, though. And it, it, like I said, it wasn't great. It wasn't horrible. It's it's like a solid six. Check it out if you've got spare time. It's, it's a good crime thriller, uh, even if the plot gets a little uh, off-kilter on occasion. Moving on to video games, we have uh, this week I finished, started and finished, the Game of Thrones game by Telltale. And uh, for those of you that have never played a Telltale game, they're, t- they're, they're actually less game and more like interactive story. Uh, most of the game part of it, the game in the game, is uh, quick time events and dialogue choices. That's about as video gamey as they get. They usually have a really cool look, uh, like the Batman games and the Walking Dead games look like they're straight out of a comic book. Uh, the Tales from the Borderland games looks or game looks like uh, it's straight out of the Borderlands games. You know, it's got that art style perfectly recreated in a different style of game, not a first-person shooter. This game I didn't really care for the look of. It uh, has a painted look. Like the backgrounds, the characters, they all look like a painting. And while it looks good as a still, it doesn't look good animated. I, I didn't care for it. I also really didn't care for the story of this one. Um, it's probably—it's definitely the worst Telltale game I've ever played. and In and, and the sense that the story is tucked into the midst of the TV show's universe starts at the red wedding which was you know the end of season 3 and it so it has a little overlap with season 4 too and uh, it tells the story of House Forrester they were bannermen to the Stark family and now they're under the rule of the Boltons because you know the Boltons ruled the north at this point in the game of thrones story and it creates some really like lame situations where like you're facing off with Ramsay Bolton but you know that nothing you're going to do in the scene is going to really affect Ramsey. Like even there's one scene late in the game where you've got a knife to Ramsey's throat and it gives you the option to to not try to harm him or to try to cut him. But you know if you've watched the show at this point that you're not going to do anything. He's going to get out of it. Because he's, you know, he's still very much around in season 6 of of the TV show. So it's it's kind of garbage like that that they they do like like Walking Dead works because it's set in the existing universe but it's a side story it's tangential it's 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 a parallel more is more of what i'm getting at like the characters in walking dead while they occasionally interact with characters from the show and books like jesus and and there's one point early on in the walking dead games where you briefly encounter glenn they're not tied to your story in, in a meaningful way whereas In this Game of Thrones game, the the existing characters, the Marjorie Tyrells, the Cersei Lannisters, the Tyrion Lannisters of of the world, frequently butt into the characters of the show and uh, of the game and of the Forrester family, and it doesn't make sense. Like, for example, Mira Forrester, the the oldest daughter of the Forrester family, is a handmaiden of Marjorie's. She apparently has been a handmaiden for a long time. She is a close associate of Marjorie's for most of the game. And if you screw up one point you lose that, but that that's that's established that she's a a right hand woman, if you will, for Marjorie. Nowhere is she in the books or show. So they they establish this close connection to one of the main characters that can't exist. You know, it doesn't make sense for it to only exist in the space between the two seasons or not at all in the books, you know? And so it's, it's things like that. It's, it's the, the major characters from the show. And I get why they did it because they are, you know, it it ties it more closely to the show, but having major characters like Tyrion be crucial to the characters of the game doesn't make any sense in the greater context of the game of Thrones thing. And so it, it, they've, as far as I know, they've never settled on a sequel to this. And that could be why, because it, it doesn't fit it, it feels out of place it feels shoehorned in it feels like it shouldn't belong and then on top of it it's just not a very good story like i mean i know it's game of thrones and things end badly for everybody but like it just felt like you were behind the eight ball the whole game no, no decisions you made were ever going to pan out it was just going to be misery and suffering and i know that's intentional because it's game of thrones but it didn't make for a good game like i felt like no matter what i did everybody was going to die i'm surprised anyone survived to be frank. And then it ends in this way that's kind of cliffhangery. Like it could lead into a sequel. But we're three, four years past that game and there's no sequel. And I don't know how you can fit more of that into the established story. So I think it's a misstep. Also this week we found out that uh, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds has sold 10 million units so far. And some of you may that that don't know what it is may not understand why that's a big deal. Uh, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds is part of the newly minted battle Royal genre, where you take a hundred players, drop them on an island. They they parachute in unarmed, uh, without you know backpacks, guns, ammo, healing items, none of that. You fall in, you scavenge as quickly as you can. You fight off whoever you can fight off and then there's like a, a concentric cir- there's a circle that just keeps closing in and if you're outside the circle you eventually die so it forces everybody together and then it's a last man standing thing brilliant game design uh, i've never got to play it but i've watched like the giant bomb guys they do a weekly series with it absolutely love it can't wait to play it on console um it's coming to xbox this fall supposedly but it's a big deal that it's sold 10 million units because it's in early access. The game is not even officially out yet, and it's already sold 10 million units. At one point, it actually became... It, it unseated Dota 2 as the, most, as the game with the most concurrent players last week. So it's a very popular game that's not even out yet. It's sold 10 million units. That's unheard of for an early access game. I can't wait to play it, but this does tie into... The next story I wanted to touch on, and that is that they announced this week, a couple days ago, that uh, mouse and keyboard support is coming to Xbox One. And if this is not handled properly, this is a horrible move. I've been a console gamer my entire life, so I am not good with mouse and keyboard. Mouse and keyboard, typically, if you're good with it, gives you an advantage over controller players. It's it's quicker, more responsive if you if you can do it. And those of us that use controllers are going to be boned. If they don't separate the player pool or, you know, whatever. If you're using a controller, your life is going to be hell when you start coming up against people that are good with mouse and keyboard. Like, I shudder to think what it's going to be like when my poor kids are playing Overwatch and mouse and keyboard supports an effect. Uh, you know, I was just talking about player Unknowns Battlegrounds. That's, that's a game I very much look forward to, but I don't look forward to getting, you know, destroyed because the guy I come up on has a quicker mouse and keyboard reaction time than I do or a quicker reaction time than I can have with a controller. So I I understand Microsoft's looking, grasping for whatever thing they can to make themselves different than PlayStation because they're being outsold like 10 to 1. But I don't like this idea as a console gamer, as an Xbox player. I don't like the idea of mouse and keyboard being a thing. L.A. Noire, for some reason, is coming to the PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and to the Vive. Uh, I don't know if you've ever played L.A. Noire. It's several years old at this point. Uh, Almost 10 years old at this point. And it's a fine game. It's not Rockstar's best game, but it's a fine game. They did some interesting things with the the face technology to let you be able to, like, you know, analyze someone's face while you're interrogating them and, like, oh, that guy's lying. That, That woman's telling the truth, stuff like that. But it wasn't a great story. It's not a game I desire to replay again. And I haven't seen anything about pricing yet, but I would not be shocked if they try to sell this as a $60 game uh, because it's being remastered and all that. I think this falls under the same umbrella as uh, what just happened recently with Bulletstorm by Gearbox and that it should have just been a backwards compatible game. Just make it backwards compatible. Don't release a brand new version where you can anyway. Um, I know PS4 doesn't really have backwards compatibility too much and switch is brand new and then there's the vibe situation i, I kind of understand the vibe version the most the vibe and the switch versions but it's it was a, a one and done kind of game it was the kind of thing you play through you experience it once and then you never think about it again in my opinion um again not bad but not great and the story ends in a way that's kind of eh, in my opinion so i don't know why they're redoing it but you know they didn't ask me. My, <laughs> I'm not on the advisory council there that, you know, approves their decisions. But it's coming, so that you know that's news. Uh, also, this past weekend, one of the more surprising things I didn't expect to have happen I got to play the Call of Duty beta. Uh, I was sitting around Saturday night last week and uh, looking for what something to do, and then my phone goes off, and I look at it, and it's my buddy Brian. Uh, if you follow Movieverse or you've heard me talk about Movieverse, that's it's that Brian. He asked me if I wanted to play Call of Duty, try, try out the beta, and, I, and I'm sitting there looking at the phone like, dude, it's it's a closed beta. We I, I didn't pre-order. I don't I don't pre-order, typically. I actually have very strong-held beliefs about not pre-ordering. Anyone who knows me knows this. Um, can't play it. Didn't pre-order it. And, you know, t- to my surprise, he's like, man, come on, I got codes. I wouldn't be asking if I didn't have codes. This is essentially the, the crux of the conversation. I'm... I'm Put in words in his mouth here, but that's, you know, the, the, the structure of the conversation was very much like, I have codes, man. I wouldn't ask you about this if I didn't have codes. And so I was like, oh, hell yeah. If you got codes, let's do it. He gave me a code. I spent almost two hours waiting on the game to download because for some reason it downloaded super slow. And then I played about 10 or so hours of the game over the next two days. And I have to say to my complete and utter shock, I loved it. Like, I haven't been a fan of Call of Duty multiplayer since the original Black Ops. I've played all the campaigns, even if it's late. Like, earlier this year, I finally played Advanced Warfare, uh, the campaign of it. I always make sure I check out the campaigns. In fact, I'll go back and say last year's Infinite Warfare's campaign was the best they've done since the original Black Ops. Hands down. That's that's why Call of Duty last year, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, was one of my top ten games. Because it was a fantastic campaign. This is the first time I've I've enjoyed the way a multiplayer feels in years. Uh, it's back to basics, boots on the ground, no wall running, no jetpacks. It's World War Two, and it's you know Axis versus Allies. It's it's just just a great setup. It's a timeless setup. You know everyone loves fighting the Axis. It, it's just a thing that's ingrained in us. Has been since the video games began. You know we've you know we've always loved to fight the fascists in video games. And it's it's just a thing that's ingrained in our nature, I think. I think it's in our DNA at this point as gamers to want to take arms up against the bad guys. So it's just a lot of fun. And they, they added this new mode. Uh, they've had modes entitled war before, if I'm not mistaken, but this the way war is handled in this game, the war mode, I should say, is uh, completely different. It kind of borrows a lot, if, uh, if I might... Uh, sort of blaspheme this here and say that it borrows heavily from overwatch in a way that like it's a multi-tiered objective based mode where if you're attacking you have to take a command point which in itself is kind of similar to the uh, some of the other objective modes in call of duty already where you have to push the enemy away and then take over this region and then after that you have to build a bridge and the, the bridge building bits fun and frustrating in its own way where the defenders are lined up on the other side of the river other side of the broken bridge shooting at you and then members of the attacking team have to run up and build this bridge but you're defenseless while you're building the bridge so it kind of splits the team up a bit because the more people are building the faster the bridge gets built but the more people are building the less shooters you have on your side to pick off the defenders so it's just this constant battle of you know attrition really and thankfully they didn't put a, a, a kd in this mode because i think you know we all know if kill death ratios are involved people are going to be cowards and hide behind cover and try not to die so mercifully there's no kd in this mode you just run forward try to hit the objective after the bridge is built you have to attack a ammo depot and this kind of reminds me of search and destroy without the permadeath because you have to get into the, the target plant a bomb and then defend it long enough for it to blow up uh, again just like search and destroy another call of duty mode and then lastly, you have to escort a tank. And this is where it really feels like Overwatch. It's like you're escorting the payload because you have to be close to it. If any of your team are not there, it not only doesn't move forward, but it starts moving backwards. Uh, it's kind of comical to hear this tank say, Hey, no one, no, there's no foot soldiers here to escort us, so we're going to retreat. Because, you know, it's a fucking tank. But it is a fun mode as you push this tank forward and try to... Try to get to the to the end of the of the map and destroy the final objective it's fantastic though i can't like express how much i loved it and how shocked i am that i love it because i've i've so hard you know fell so hard off of the call of duty bandwagon that like it bruised my tailbone and gave me a concussion like that's how hard i fell off that bandwagon and here i am thinking like i can't wait to play more call of duty I can't wait for Call of Duty to come out and that's that's a that's a foreign thought to me at this point it almost feels like someone else's thought in my head but I am so looking forward to it and then lastly there's two things to note that came out this week or one game that came out this week and two things to note about it and that is Destiny 2 has arrived um, I've made it very clear over the last couple of weeks that I am not a Destiny fan I kind of thumb my nose at this release like ah, fucking Destiny's out But, having watched several videos about it, I'm actually kind of interested in playing it. I want to check out Destiny this time. uh, Get in kind of early, because last time, with Destiny, for those of you that don't know, I played it at launch on the Xbox 360, but I had a really shit internet connection, and none of my friends had it yet, so I didn't enjoy it. I took it back the next day, because it was a Redbox rental. And then forever later, I don't know how many months or years went by, I got myself an Xbox One, and the, they were selling a bundle that was everything from Taken King back. You know, so Taken King was the most recent DLC, and it was everything. It was like $35. So I picked it up. I played one night of it, like one eight-hour stretch of it with my buddy. He was super over-leveled. Compared to me, and I was basically power leveling because he was just doing all the killing. Because I could try to kill things, but before I get two shots into him, he'd one shot him with his more, much more powerful weaponry. So you know, it power leveled me a little bit, and we went through, and we got all the way up to the Taken King stuff, and then I fell off of it. I actually don't even have it installed on my hard drive anymore, and that's kind of where my, my, my stance with Destiny is. You like, it's it's just like it was a fun game, it felt good, but I I didn't really enjoy it. But I hear that this game, Destiny Two, has a much more cohesive story. It's much better put together. They tie things to up, you know, t- together and up better. And it's just generally being praised. Now, granted, I have to take the praise with a grain of salt because a lot of the people that are gushing about Destiny Two were already fans of Destiny. And as someone who wasn't a fan of Destiny, that makes me a little apprehensive. But I do want to check it out. Uh, in fact, I would have checked it out already if it had been available at Redbox. But when I stopped to buy groceries the other morning, the, all they had was... Uh, the only thing they had available was Agents of Mayhem and Prey. And I didn't want to play either of those this weekend. So I, I just have to hold my breath and hope that Destiny shows up over at my local Redbox sometime soon. And then... The other thing with Destiny is this shader controversy. For those of you that don't understand what a shader is, it's an item you get that lets you color your armor. So you get, you know, this... I, I'm paraphrasing and making it up here, but say you get this navy blue shader that you like. This is the first Destiny, mind you. And you want to make all your armor that. So you got your, your helmet, your gloves, your chest piece, your pants, and your leg, or your boots, let's say. and So that's five items. You could use that shader on all five of them, and you're good. It's yours, you can use it, you know, the, the next piece of armor you get that may be better than what you have now, you can make it blue too, and that's just how it worked. It was your reward for getting that shader. Well, Activision saw that, and making it a thing you can use as many times as you want, you were taking money from their pockets, man. So they decided with Destiny 2 that when you get a shader, you can use it one time. So that means if you want to have a matching set of armor let's say or you've got new armor that you want to recolor you can't until you find that shader again and how do you find that shader you buy them with in-game currency or they come in loot boxes yes loot boxes are part of this again the the i still haven't quite wrapped my head around why blizzard hasn't fixed the loot boxes over at on overwatch and now another arm of blizzard cuz activision blizzard the same company have have put out a game with more loot boxes in them that again you can buy with in-game currency and guess what folks you can buy the in-game currency with real world cash jim sterling has some excellent rants about this but essentially what you what you have here is th- they're they're preying on people with an addictive personality the, the kind of kind of person that would get addicted to gambling they're they're preying on that mentality where give us 5 bucks We'll give you some silver, and then you can buy some loot boxes, and then you—the loot box is random. You don't know what's in the loot box. It's—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, 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 it's part of the game. You know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, it's a game of chance. You—you—you you, you spend some money on this loot box, and maybe you'll get something you want. Overwatch does the same thing. You can buy loot boxes. You don't have to level up to get loot boxes. You can buy them with real-world cash, and then again. They're completely fucking random. You you don't get to choose the items you want. You know, like I get... I'm actually for... Um, and, I, and I say this loosely. I'm not an advocate of it. But like, if you're going to do microtransactions, they better fucking be cosmetic. Like, if you're going to ask people to spend money past the 60 to $90 they've already spent on your game, depending on what version they bought. And let's not kid ourselves. There are some special versions that are 150 $200. If you're going to ask for extra money... The shit you're, pay, you're asking people to pay for better not, A, affect the game. Looking at you, Warner Brothers, with Shadow of War, it better not affect the game. It better not be pay to win. It better be fucking cosmetic. Like, I love that we have started to get away from um, map packs being a thing. Like, that splits the player base. I, I, I remember back in the days when I played Call of Duty multiplayer, how heartbreaking it was when I couldn't afford the new maps, but all my friends had them. So then when we're playing together, I'd fucking get kicked out because I didn't have the maps. You know, the the map rotation dropped in something new from a DLC content that I didn't have. So I like that we're getting away from that. And I like the shift, too, that if you want to do games as a service, that you offer cosmetic stuff. Skins for your guns, uh, clothes for your characters, stuff like that. That's what DLC should be. Because there are plenty of people that are willing to pay $250 or $250, $2.50 for a fucking hat or a jacket, or a zebra-striped gun skin, or gold-plated gun skin, platinum gun skin, whatever. That stuff's fine. People people that want to spend the money on that go right ahead. But the the fact that Destiny has now taken a system that worked, with the shaders being yours to use as many times as you want, and then made it a, a thing where they've put it behind a paywall, and then on top of it being behind a paywall, it's a completely randomized paywall, because... Forgive me, I haven't played Destiny 2 yet, but from what I've seen, it doesn't look like you can just go to the store and go, I want the navy blue shader, I want the onyx black shader, and I want the phoenix red shader. It doesn't seem that you can do that. That would See, that would be a little more forgivable. It would be the more traditional microtransaction model that I can stomach. But for it to be behind a paywall with randomization in it, which is where it becomes like a gambling thing, because that's, that's how that personality works. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a compulsive gambler, but like if they're put in front of a slot machine, they put the quarter in, pull the lever. Ah, shit, didn't win. Put the quarter in, pull the lever. Shit, didn't win. Put the quarter in, pull the lever. Oh, I won four bucks. Put the quarter in, and, and, and it's it's like a, a lab rat hitting that feeder button again and again and again. It, it fires off chemical signals in the brain, a little dopamine and shit, and they, they, they're just addicted to it. You know, it's... it's it's reprehensible for these video game companies to exploit this sort of thing especially since many of the people who play games like I'll never make the argument that games are for kids because that would be you know demeaning to myself but children play these games and they get caught on that that uh that addictive thing like I've seen it with my own children where they love opening loot boxes and if they had access to a credit card and could do it they would buy the loot boxes it's it's nefarious it's shady i don't like it and they've done it with destiny 2 now granted i'm not a destiny 2 fan so I've, i'm less mad about it than i would be but i think it's a horrible idea loot boxes are the utter bane of the video game industry right now in my opinion even PUBG. Pub player unknowns battlegrounds is guilty of it they have they actually have loot boxes that you win that you can't open until you spend two dollars and fifty cents on a key so ah fuck that i that whole thing just irritates the shit out of me so i I, i'm gonna leave it there i'm not i'm not i don't want to spend my afternoon angry so we're gonna back away from that now we're gonna move on Uh, unfortunately this week i have nothing to discuss as it comes to reading i've had a very busy week um didn't read anything, but I do tangentially have to say that I have been working on some ideas for writing. I've had some ideas pop up, things I'm I'm mulling over, kicking around in my old you know my old noggin here. Uh, I haven't written anything in a long time. Last thing I wrote was uh, a short story. I've written a couple short stories over the last few years, not enough to put together into an anthology of any sort and try to sell. But you know I've written a story here and there, but. My lifelong goal has always been to write a novel. I would love to publish at least one novel before I leave this earth. So I've got some ideas to finish things I've already started, rework them, make them better. Because, like, I've been writing a a private eye novel since I was, like, 20. So I've got a lot of work to do on that one, make it better. But I also like, you know, I like high fantasy, Game of Thrones-style stuff. So I've got ideas there, and I've I've got some sci-fi ideas and some horror ideas. But the thing is, is this week, instead of reading, my thoughts have been when I haven't been playing video games, watching movies, writing for this podcast or researching for this podcast or flat out working my soul crushing job, I've been thinking about writing. And so sometime soon I'm going to have to sit down and start pounding on these keys and, and see if I get some sort of story going. But uh, so no reading this week, but lots of pre-work on writing. So I, I guess that's kind of the same thing. It's you know it's at least related. It's in the same ballpark, but that's going to do it for me for this week here on the Ordinary Podcast. As always, I appreciate you taking time to sit and listen to me ramble for an almost an hour now. Um, it means the world to me when you when you take the time to do this. Uh, we've got some changes coming to the podcast. Uh, if you follow me on social media, you know that I upgraded my setting. You might be able to hear it. I can't tell. I haven't heard the audio quality yet of this episode. But I've got some new microphones. I've got an audio mixer. We're set up to do a conversation finally. So in the coming weeks, we'll, we will have episodes where it's not just me talking to you. It'll be me talking to somebody else, and you get to listen instead. So it, it, maybe that'll be better. Like I, I hope that works out. Like I, I've got some people that want, want to be on the podcast, so I don't have to hold a gun to anybody's head and force them to. It's going to be a good time. At the very least, we'll have... A good conversation, me and me and my friends my friends and I and hopefully it ends up being an entertaining podcast they might run even longer than this because I've got some friends that are talkers and we get us together and we could talk for hours so the first one we'll be recording in a couple weeks it'll be up two or three episodes from now and we'll see how it goes so look forward to that um, speaking of social media, make sure you check out Pliner at polynerdic on Twitter, polynerdic on Facebook, polynerdic on YouTube, twitch.tv slash polynerdic, and polynerdic on Instagram. Those are all my social media accounts. Uh, The Instagram one is just random pictures. Oftentimes it'll be a picture of just this microphone set up, you know, as I finish a a podcast and it's it's, uh, uploading or being imported to MP3. I'll post it and be like, hey, another podcast done, stuff like that. Silly stuff I find, you know, things that are amusing, things like that. Twitter is Twitter. It's where I keep, you know, post updates most most of the time. Uh, Twitter is also a great place to find out when I'm going to be live streaming on the Twitch channel. And it's a great place to see the archive YouTube stuff pop up. Twitter and Facebook are great for just being uh, aggregates of my work. And as I mentioned, the Twitch channel twitchtv uh, polynerdic or That's where I live stream. I try to live stream three times a week. That's my goal. I typically do a Sunday night overnight stream. You know, some, starting around eleven o'clock on Sunday night and going to four or five in the morning. Sometimes longer. Uh, it depends on how good the game I'm playing is. This week we're probably going to start Uncharted Four. I uh, I really want to play Yakuza Zero, but I don't have the disposable income right now for it uh so so unless that changes it will be uncharted 4 we pick we we kick off i've been looking forward to that one for a while and then uh like i said i I stream sunday night try to stream on monday sometimes the sunday night stream counts as the monday stream and tuesday wednesday i try to stream all those those days i want three days a week of streaming a couple hours at least on each day uh, trying to build that audience so if you like live streaming video games and a variety of video games I'm not someone that streams just one game I, I like to stream a game to completion and then move on I, I lack the internet speed to do multiplayer all the time or at all really so I, I tend to stay away from that right now but as things improve and I get better internet that could change too The as I said the YouTube channel is largely spent for archiving the Twitch stuff so you know if you've missed the live streams you can check that stuff out i don't put everything i live stream on twitch some stuff just isn't worth it like the game of thrones telltale series i just finished streaming uh due to copyright stuff with the game of thrones theme i left it off youtube uh i played through the witcher 3 earlier this year i started putting it on YouTube, and then I was like, this this is just going to be too long. I got over 50 videos of it, and I was like, I'm just going to stop. People really weren't watching it, so I I didn't feel the need to keep uploading it. Things of that nature. Um, So that's Facebook and Twitter. My my video streams. Oh, and obviously polynerdic.com. Make sure you bookmark that. Uh, This podcast gets posted there every week. It's also where I write reviews and opinion pieces, uh, some of which I reference for this podcast, but – yeah, it's, it's the main polynergic branded thing. So make sure you bookmark that as well or subscribe if you're on WordPress. And that that covers it except for before I go. Now that I think about it, I can't believe this slipped my mind because it's such an important thing. I have been for several months now running a fundraiser for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Uh, those of you that listened to this show early on know that when I, a couple weeks after I started the show, uh, I lost a friend to suicide, and it's affected my life uh, in a, uh, you know, in my inner and outer circles as well. There, there have been plenty of people in my life that have lost loved ones to suicide, um, so I started this fundraiser back then. It's going to run to the end of the year. I want to raise $500 by the end of the year. I feel that's a, a a not excessive amount to raise money for. So if you go to the quickest way to get there, if you go to twitchtv polynerdic underneath the video viewer, there's a life preserver icon. If you click on that, it will take you to the fundraiser. Donate if you can. I know right now we are dealing with some horrific national disaster or natural disasters rather in this country in this world that are, are uh, very just things to donate to as well. Uh so if you can't afford to donate beyond that if if you're if you are of the giving nature if you have a giving spirit and you can only donate to the hurricane relief stuff that is completely and totally understandable I would not dare ask for anyone to 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 not donate to that but if you have it in your heart to have it in your heart and wallet to donate to this suicide prevention fundraiser please please do it, it's it's a cause that's very dear to me um, like I said, it has affected me personally. So if you can donate to it, please do. And uh, that's going to do it. I hate to end on a down note. I know I said that we were going to not do heavy-headed stuff, but I have to plug that fundraiser. Um, that's going to do it for this week's episode of The Ordinary Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I, 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 I cannot express how much it means to me when you when you take time out of your day or time along your day because I know I listen to podcasts while I do other things so thank you for taking an hour out of your day again to join me on this journey to make me a part of your day I sincerely appreciate it you I cannot put into words cannot put into words how much that means to me that you listen and I'll see you next week here on the ordinary podcast see you then